Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Stud. And I'm Ron Stud. And Ron, tonight for episode 38, we have Mr. James Tarani here. How you doing tonight, sir? Great. I'm ready for this 38 special here. Oh, yeah. 38 special. I like that. Well, in, before we get going, before we get into the Ember Round, Ron and I always like to pay homage to you, the guest, and to our official uh, official beverage sponsor, Malort. Uh, yeah. So cheers to you, James. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. And thank you, Malort, for being our official spirit, our official sponsor of season two. Cheers. Cheers. I have a confession. Our, I've never actually tried Malort. Should I try it? Yes. How how many years have you been living in the in the greater Chicago area? My whole life. Yes. After we're done recording, <laughs> go out and get a bottle. <laughs> Although, it's an experience. Note with Alex has told us if you buy a case at a time, you might get some weird looks, but a bottle probably not so much. Yeah, uh, on occasion, James, I do buy uh, I do buy cases of it, and uh, people it, it's more economical that way, and people usually think that's very strange. It is because I've never heard good things. <laughs> Just kidding. You can edit that well, out. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. No, listen, they they the the, the great people of Malort embrace uh, the wide range of appreciation and lack thereof. So, All right, one day I'm gonna try it. I promise. Let me know when you do. Maybe oh, I can join you for it. Definitely. So kicking us off, though, uh, and we have our Ember round. How do you know Alex or I? Who are you guys? I thought this was what WTF with Mark Marin. What am I doing here? <laughs> I think you're on the wrong show. Nah. Oh, man. Well, I used to work with Alex at my previous job, Sphera. I was on the marketing team. Alex is on the marketing team, and we marketed together. And we did some good stuff together. That's the best way to put it. We marketed together. Yeah, we went to market. <laughs> you don't hear we people did. say that in marketing, that we went to market. Well, I guess you do, but not like we went to market. Right. And we did that, and it was funny. I You'd been there for quite some time. I just showed up in September. So it was sort of uh, two ships crossing in the night. But the, that period of time was, was great, and it was really magic. appreciated working with you. That's right. That's right. We did some good things. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about you in, in more detail, right? What's your What's your story? What are your hobbies? What are your interests? My hobbies and interests. Well, if you can see behind me, uh, there's a lot of comedians back there. Mm-hmm. I'm really into old comedians and old comedy. That's part of my interest. I also am into bass guitar. Play a little bass. Do you high school? Do you slap the bass? I do a little slapping at the bass. I don't know if you can do it, hear it too well, but. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard to do Ron, when I it's think, th- that close up. <laughs> I think we got our new official theme song. We're just going to loop that. That yes. like two second clip. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. That was awful. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in the Chicago area. I have my whole life. Um, I live here with my wife. And my two kids. Well, my daughter's in college now, but uh, yeah, yeah but two two kids, and my dog Oreo. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about Oreo a little bit later, right? Oreo is a sure. perfect name for a pet. 
Yeah, I was actually going to say, I didn't know that was the name of your pet because Ron and I had a cat Oreo when really? we were when we were children and Oreo thought he was a dog. Totally. Yeah, and that it. actually Oreo was this uh this I don't I mean Ron, you were older than me. You remember Oreo more than me, but Oreo was this outdoor cat who wanted nothing to do with being indoor. And like it we lived behind uh, or I should say in front of train tracks and Oreo would go up to the train tracks. Keep in mind, like, didn't have claws, right? It was the clawed and all that. But would go up there and find snakes and little rats and stuff and bring them back into the house. It's like, hey, look what I did. Um, <laughs> and you're like, thanks, Oreo. Right. And then <laughs> the sad, the sad, tragic part. Ron, do you want to tell it or do you want me to tell it? Well, I want to put one more fun thing with it. So he was also a scrapper. So he would get into fights probably once a week or so. And I think part of it was, it was just like, he would just kind of like, I up other dogs, like full size dogs. Like, I think there was a German shepherd that was like, you know, um, and no, I think there was a Rottweiler actually. Yeah. I think there was a Rottweiler <laughs> probably two or three times its size what? and he got, he would just like get into fights with them and he'd come back all bloodied. And, um, there was like one night I remember that my mom said that a neighbor said they thought that they heard a little girl crying. And it was just, it was Oreo. He came back from a fight. He was all bloodied up. And it was funny because when we'd walk him around or whatever, he would just like look at the uh, other dogs and we just kind of like do that kind of thing. And I can't, I can't vouch for the Rottweiler thing. Ron, you're eight years older, so you have a better memory than me. But I will say this. Yeah. Oreo walked us to school every day. It I was thought really that was unusual. Wait, you had a cat, cat walk you to school? Yeah. Walked us to school. And it would it would wait like right outside the school, make sure we went in, and then it would go go on its way. Well, not quite. So to correct that, there was an underpass that he would walk us to. Well, where there was a yeah, crossing the train guard, tracks. Where there's a crossing guard, and at that point, he was more or less like, "All right, off we would go, and off he would go to try to find food that other people in the neighborhood would put out for him, so that he could come home and put his nose up to whatever my parents wanted to buy him." So. All right, I'm gonna send you a picture of my Oreo, and you're gonna put a picture of your Oreo next to it when you when this goes out, so we can see the Oreos and compare the differences. I'll work on that. Yes, I like that. Uh, Oreo, our Oreo had an unfortunate, tragic end, though, yeah. and it was my first experience with loss. Oh. Uh, no. But it's but it's a significant. I mean, it's 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 a memorable story. Ron, do you want to tell it? Sure. So. We had a neighbor who unfortunately had Alzheimer's and she, for whatever reason, didn't particularly care for cats. Um, so she ended up, I, I think, putting out antifreeze, unfortunately, and we found um, him oh passed out God. in the yard. Stiff, stiff as a board. Yeah. And at the time, my dad was out of town and uh, I was the oldest in the family of the kids. Uh, so... I kind of had to do the burial and you had to dig a hole like a ditch yeah. and then you threw you threw Oreo in like stiff. Right. And Kate, our sister, like freaked like, out. How dare you? She's like, you can't just you got to throw it in something first. So when she's like, you put it in a garbage bag, <laughs> like somehow that was I mean, better. What else was I going to do? But yeah, oh, man, this is turning out to be the most depressing two between two studs ever. But you, you just waited for me to talk about anti-freezing cats. I mean, th there's a really, really happy story though with Oreo, um, and that that happy story just to show he was really odd. Like you know how some pets are really smart and some just not so much. 
here's how smart this cat was. So I want to say uh, at one point, and it wasn't uncommon for this cat to kind of go off on little little journeys. You know, I have no clue what he did. But he definitely had fun wherever he was going. Well, all a lot of the neighbors knew Oreo would always leave food out. Yeah. So he would just like, go up and down the neighborhood. And, and so he'd be fine. Everybody gone for a day or two. You're just like, yeah, it's, he's out there. Who knows what he's doing? Maybe he got into a scrap. I'm sure he's fine. And uh, a week goes by and we didn't see him. We're like, well, that's a little bit weird. Anyway, um, after a week, we started going around to the neighbors and said, hey, uh, you know, we're trying to find our cat. Have you seen him? No clue where he's at. If you see him, will you let us know? And um, the next day, or it was like maybe a day or two later, our one neighbor, she's out at a restaurant in downtown in the city we grew up in. And it was probably, I don't know, maybe two, two, three miles away. So it was, it was a bit, bit of a distance. And she came out from a restaurant and she said she saw the cat just staring at her up from her car because it recognized her car. And she's like, I don't know if that's it or not, but what the hell? I'll, I'll take it home. So sure enough, she brought it home and it happened to be, it was her cat. So he had recognized her car and the scent or whatever. And that's how he found his way back. Which is that's the cool. positive story when we lost when we lost Oreo for a couple of weeks. That was the uplifting part to end the story. I mean, he came back, which was kind of funny. Like <laughs> he he know, got an Uber just... ride back. He he didn't just get a ride. He got an Uber back. And not only that, but he kind of like gave the neighbor the stink eye. Like you're taking me home. You know that, right? And she was just like, I guess I'm gonna make I'm gonna make you an awful. You can't refuse. You're gonna take me back to the stud place. <laughs> So, so yes, we will absolutely, uh, in the Instagram, we're going to have to have a picture of the, both of them. Your Oreo and our Oreo. It'll be so my Oreo and- is really smart, too. He's like, when nice. we when I was getting him trained when he was little, the trainer's yeah. like, he's like 98 percentile. He's amazing. I'm like, oh, he's really smart. So uh, he's he's like my buddy. Like, I'll be walking and people will say, hey, Oreo, and I have no idea who they are, but He's got like this rep in the neighborhood, I guess, uh, because I'm taking him on walks and we do this litter challenge and all kinds of good things. And we're going to touch on that litter challenge a little bit later, but let's keep moving for now. We got more to cover before we get out of the Ember round. You're still in the Ember round, James. Oh, so I know you haven't, you haven't, you haven't escaped yet. Do you see I'm sweating? Uh, well, I've got an idea <laughs> on something you can do about the sweating. I think you need a drink, right? And you've got Ooh. something to drink, don't you? Right. Cheers. Two now, more. What, is, what, what are you drinking there? What sir? are you working on? Oh, well, um, I have a Cabernet. And uh, when uh, my wife opened the bottle, I was like, which bottle did you open? And it was Menage à Trois. So ah. I'm drinking Menage à Trois Cabernet. Between two studs. Perfect. Between, hopefully not. but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ron, what are you working on? I'm having water again. What about you, Alex? Yeah, Ron's doing this uh, this this uh, cleanse thing. We've heard all about it. Excited to be done with it. Hopefully, this is the last episode with with you still right. on it. But this Friday is the end of it, so I'm I'm thrilled. I am working on. Um, so I, I try, James, to if I can. I, I want to have a connection between what I'm working on, what I'm drinking that night, and the guest. And this one was difficult, but I'm, I'm kind of cheating. You'll see. So uh, when we were still working together, 
there's this big event at the beginning of the, of the year uh, in January called Sales Kickoff, where everyone gets together and, um, you know, for us, it's a, it's a global co- company. It's like the kicking right? machine so, where you go down and everybody kicks you, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so I was hanging out with two of our Scottish employees, uh, and before they left, because they were going to, you know, it was the end of the week, they're going back to Scotland, and they said, Alex, I know you live locally. Um, do you want to have some of our leftover scotch that, that we're not going to take back to Scotland with us? And so that is what I'm working on. I'm, I don't, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but Tannavallen. Pretty good, actually. But the connection, of course, is... I have never heard of that. Is it good? good, though. It is actually very good. Very good. Um, so thank you. I'm not going to say their names, but thank you, Scottish co-workers. And that's that's my connection because James and I are still working together at that time. So there you go. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, in a roundabout <laughs> way, it, it, it's just aligned perfectly. I feel it. I, I feel it. I mean, I, I get it. Speaking of roundabout, trying to make connections, this next question we always try to connect the dots with. Because um, we get really interesting answers and responses. Pick a piece of art, and art can mean anything to you. Um, and tell us how it represents or speaks to you. You know, we always get that. We always find that to be a really interesting question. As actually a lot harder than... It sounds because there's so many things as I'm a writer, I'm an editor, and there's so many things that have influenced me from the arts. But the thing I decided to pull out is oh, he my, brought it with him. my <laughs> wall album, which I got in high school. You can still see. Cool oh, pictures. Pink Floyd, 1979, The Wall. Yes. That is awesome. So I got this in high school. At the time, uh, I was at a record store, and they were phasing out records, and they were going to these great uh, little discs called CDs, kids. We used CDs in the 90s, Um, but I still had a record player, and there was only a few albums left in the store, and one of them was Pink Floyd The Wall. So I'm like, I don't know how much it cost at the time, maybe 10 bucks, something like that. Like, ah, this looks interesting. I'm going to give it a shot. I think I might have heard another brick in the wall at that point. I wasn't really familiar with Pink Floyd. So I put the record on and I was just, my, my eyes bulged out of my head. I'm like, this is from the gods. This is amazing. I, I mean, I listened to the whole thing probably three, four times that day. I was so interested in wow. it. And uh, I became a huge Roger Waters fan and... That's why I picked up bass guitar because I wanted to be a songwriter, and uh, so it was a big influence on me, and it still is. Wow do do you not to get too personal, but do you do you relate to Pink the character in in the Wall? <laughs> wow, that's an interesting question. I think um, I think everybody can relate to Pink in some ways. I mean, we all go through things that. Um, we're not expecting difficulties, hardships, and how you deal with it is how you get through life. And uh, Pink didn't do a great job with that. But yeah. he was judged, and uh, he was found guilty, wasn't he? 
He he was by the judge. <laughs> have you have you seen the accompanying movie that was made? I think it was nineteen eighty. It was like maybe a year after. Oh yeah. Uh, the album. Do you do you find do you find that to be equally powerful or less so? You mean the Wall movie or yeah, movie, movie? Yeah. with the animations yeah. and that? Yeah, the Wall no. movie. I, I mean, I, I I don't know when I saw it for the first time. It must have been in high school as well. Um, I used to watch it all the time, and I haven't watched it in probably five six years at this point. But it, it was really meaningful to me. And even in high school, we used to go see Rocky Horror, um, like on a Saturday mm. night. And before the movie started, they'd show some previews, and one of them was always the wall, and we'd all go around and go like this and walk around <laughs> doing that. Um, yeah, that part was, of the movie always scared the crap out of me. Like when I was like a teenager watching that, that's scary. It wasn't scary. the kids being turned into sausages. That didn't scare you. That that scared me a little bit. Too. <laughs> Actually, that whole movie. Now that I now that I think about it, I haven't seen that movie in years either. That whole movie is pretty, pretty terrifying. Lot. There's it's a, a lot of depth dark, to yeah. it. Yeah. But no, I know um, Alex and I, we actually, we went to go see Roger Waters uh, perform The Wall live in Philadelphia. And that was really a great experience. Yeah. That must have been around 2010 or 2011. And I Somewhere always tell other. people, when people ask you, like, what was the best concert you've ever seen? I, I always go, well, I don't know if I'd call it a concert. To me, it was more of a show. Right. Uh, but Roger Waters, The Wall. I mean, yeah, I saw it at the United Center. It was, I've seen Roger, I think four times now. And uh, I mean, that was an amazing, the first time I saw Roger was definitely the best, but the wall was, I mean, just seeing it live was incredible. Well, I'll say this by the time Ron and I saw him, it might've been 2012. I'm not sure. But when we saw him, you could tell uh, he had some help with the lead vocals. He was, uh, his, his voice, his voice is going a little bit. Yeah. His yeah. voice was <laughs> I think, if I remember correctly, he was actually accompanied by himself in, on certain songs from, like, the late Younger 70s, Rogers, early 80s. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was like Ro old yeah. Roger and young Roger together. Yeah, I've seen Roger four times, and then I've seen David twice, and I went to see Nick Mason's tour when he came here, is it last year, I think? The Saucer Full of Secrets tour. That was really cool because they played the really old Pink Floyd that most people don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was really Yeah, the cool. early stuff. The real early stuff, yeah, like the Sid Barrett ears, that kind of thing. Well, and I was actually going to bring up Sid Barrett. This is this is something I've, I've never confessed to publicly, but I'm going to tonight because we're talking about Sid Barrett uh, and Pink Floyd. This is a true story, and it actually was – it scared the living – shit out of me when I was when I was a young teenager. I remember really getting into music, right, in my early high school years. And part of that was going through the Beatles and then kind of graduating into the Stones and then graduating into Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. It was right during that era that I really started like wanting to backtrack into the early Pink Floyd stuff, which was the Sid Barrett era, the original lead singer and original lead guitarist. And the story with him, for those who don't know, is I, I think a lot of people think he, he was actually schizophrenic, but he got messed up on drugs. And yeah, it's a lovely. really sad story where he more or less got kind of pushed to the side and the band was like, we got to move on without you. And Pink Floyd became what we now know today as Pink Floyd. Anyway, 
I was chatting with a friend. I was in early high school. I was chatting with a friend. And um, we were talking about music. And we were talking about Pink Floyd. We talked about Sid Barrett. And I said, I said, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty crazy how everything happened. And somehow I alluded to the fact that he was still alive. And my buddy was like, why are you saying it in present tense? Like, he clearly, he clearly died. Like, he died years ago. And this was before smartphones, right? And we were outside playing. And we were like, well, like, we're just going to look this up on the computer later. But why don't I make a bet out of this? I bet you, I bet you, like, I bet you he's still alive. I said that. And he's like, I bet you he's dead. So I went home. And I was like, I, I think he's still alive. I think he's still alive. I went home. He's alive. The next morning before I hung out with that guy, breaking news, Sid Barrett dead. What? And I, that's a true story. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, this bet between me and my friend. Like, did we kill Sid Barrett? Uh, moral of the story is we never we, – we called a truce. We did. We were talking about, like, did I win? Because when we made the bet, he was alive. We just said, you know, that's bad, bad juju. Just, you know, let's – That's bad juju right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I may wow. have I uh, I'm confessing tonight I may have inadvertently accidentally killed Sid Barrett. Wow, I was not expecting this confession right here. That was not what I was expecting from this podcast. Sid, uh, if I you're will... listening and you're doing some what you usually do, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. Please forgive Alex, though. It was all Alex. Like a, I don't. I I must have been like 13 or 14. It was it was kind of freaky. In college, I remember uh, uh, Sam Kinison came to our school, and I really, really wanted to go to it, uh, but, uh, I mean, the guy was hilarious, and I had a test, I think, the next day, so I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm going to miss this one, I'm going to go study for my test, and like, a week or two later, dies in the car accident. I didn't wish it on him like you did, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> was, but you uh, missed your you missed your opportunity. I missed my opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So. I certainly have that bucket list of like you know, everyone always says, "Oh, who are the artists you want to see before you die?" I have a separate list of people I want to see before they die, uh, and that list is quickly, sadly, dwindling. On the happier news, happier <laughs> news. Uh, last question of the Ember Round. Uh, it sounds like a negative question, but we, we like to have the positive spin on it, which is obviously everyone has been impacted by COVID. Crossing our fingers, we're, we're out of the, the worst part of the storm, but it's impacted everyone on planet Earth. But there's been some positive things that have come from it as well. Uh, Ron and I started this podcast for us. What is something, James, that you look back on that maybe has been beneficial, positive um, for you? Without a doubt, and uh, COVID has been... Uh terrible and it's been hard and it's changed everyone's lives to some degree but the best thing that came out of covid i would say is my brother has always really wanted to start his own tech company he's an engineer and uh, he was riding around with his daughter my niece and they were talking about the troubles like young dancers have and his brain started turning and saying well what if there was like technology that could help you learn to dance and he started this company called dance technologies and i came on as kind of like a consultant for uh i call myself the content dude so i work i help him with some content here and there newsletters and things like that and 
lo and behold, yesterday actually it it debuted. So there's an app out now. Whoa! And uh, really excited for him. And uh, he did it as a white label so that he can turn it into other things besides dance. So like he can, if you name a different like say gymnastics or something like that, it could potentially be used to help people learn gymnastics because it it uh, it's unbiased information like. Imagine you're in a classroom where you have 15, 20 dancers. A teacher can only see so much. They can't see every movement. But this app focused on one student, you can really point out the parts of their dance routine that need work. And I, I thought it was a great idea. And I don't know if it would have happened if COVID didn't happen because it gave them some time at home to really think about it and then bring me in and some other people and... Uh, I'm really happy and proud of him, and he's my twin brother. By the wow. way, wow, oh cool, that's cool. Wait, so so how does the? I mean, I know this is brand new, but how does it in terms of like is it like a step by step through the app about like the different positions? Like, how does that work? So, it it takes different uh, dance techniques. I'm not a dancer. I can't tell you what's a dance technique, and yeah, then it yeah. gives you an example from a professional of what the dance move should look like and then you can record yourself and then try and match up with what the professional is doing and then it'll show like red dots on your body for the places that you're out of alignment and then green dots for where you're in alignment and there's 33 different places so it's pretty cool and uh the fact that my brother started this whole tech company it's just like mind-blowing to me and I'm really proud. Yeah, as you should be, and and proud of yourself too for the work that you're, you know, you've helped out with. Uh, so I, I want to make sure that we promote this, uh, and we will in our Instagram post. But is this something that I could go on with my iPhone or my Android phone, and I could download the app today? Yep. Like, what's the? Yeah, it, they give. There's some that are free, and there's some that of the more advanced dances that you need to pay a subscription price for. But anybody can try it. That's super cool. Well, we will absolutely link to that in the episode. That's really cool. You and your brother. I mean, I know you're giving your brother all the credit, but you and your brother, and I'm probably sure others, helped. Uh, being he, yeah, I mean, he built a really great team of people who really know their stuff. A lot smarter on technology than I am. And uh, I'm just here with the words because I'm the, the content dude, you know. Love it. Well, listen, James, with that. You have officially graduated from the Ember. Man, I thought it would never end. <laughs> you did it. I mean, truthfully, too, like, I just, I can go down a Pink Floyd rat hole for probably, we could probably do a whole episode just on Pink Floyd, uh, just on the wall. Heck, Let's do it. Um, yeah, we could totally do that. Because <laughs> we'll have to bring it back. the other We got thing. a lot of, we got a lot of. Yeah, we got stuff to talk about, James. But maybe we'll have to have you back and go down a dark, dark rabbit hole all about Pink Floyd. That would be fun. That would be cool. So, so you are officially out of the rabbit hole, or, or I should say, you're officially out of the Ember Round. <laughs> yep. So, so you'd mentioned, uh, and you've alluded to it earlier. You're you're a content guy, uh, and in fact, some might even call you a word grinder. Can, can you explain what that means and kind of what's your what's the origin for this fascination? Uh, so when I came to Sphera, I had a manager uh, 
His name's Keith. And I was cranking out a lot of content because when Sphero was formed, we were, you know, as you know, but they might not know, it was carved out from a larger organization. So when I got there, like, there was really no content at all. So I just kind of said, all right, let's see what we can do. Wrote blog posts, did newsletters, all kinds of good stuff. One day, Keith just goes, you're really a word grinder, aren't you? And I was like, I'd never heard it before, but I'm like, I kind of like it. So that's what I do is I stuck. I just crank out those words and like a organ grinder. And that's where the word grinder came from. And I, I added it to my uh, LinkedIn profile because I thought it was funny. <laughs> and it's creative, right? It shows you've got good use of language and you can put those words together and why not? Yeah, I, I write's good. <laughs> Sometimes. Love it. So um, I know that sustainability, Alex mentioned, and I know even prior to the episode we were talking a little bit, sustainability is something that you're that really is a big part of your life. And you mentioned um, in our pre-show a little bit about this litter challenge. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah. So again, another Sphera story. <laughs> for Well, at Sphera, every year they do a sustainability day. Um, they didn't do it in person for a while because of COVID, but I think this must have been, was it 2019? I, I want to say it was like end of summer, beginning of fall 2019. Um, for Sustainability Day, uh, the Chicago office went to Oak Street Beach and just did a cleanup. We walked around, they all got, they gave, gave us gloves and we tried to clean up all the litter we could and uh yes there's some gross things sometimes but i really enjoyed it and then uh after i got back i started like thinking in my head what if everybody just picked up one piece of litter a day i mean just imagine how much cleaner the world would be if everybody just picked up one piece of litter a day so i think that was right before i went to a um a conference in uh, Cleveland so I did some litter pickup in Cleveland and I picked one up one piece probably a lot to do that <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm not knocking it it was actually I actually lot. love Cleveland but but I I think of the the when the when this, the river caught up. yeah yeah I know that's a low blow I, it's a low blow. I tell you though All Cleveland right. was a lot cleaner like in the downtown than I was expecting but I'd find a piece of litter I'd take a picture of it and post it on Twitter and then when I got home, I'm like, you know, my dog Oreo should do this too. So he came, he comes along with me on most of my walks and we'll find at least one piece of litter, pick it up and, uh, I'll post it on Twitter. And, uh, I want to say I'm on day 920 ish. So for 920 days, I picked up at least one piece of litter for, uh, uh, and, I, I'm hoping that eventually it catches on where everybody says, you know what, I can do one thing a day to make the world a better place and just pick up a piece of litter. And just imagine if 1% of the population picked up one thing a day, how much cleaner the world would be. I'm not saying we're going to eliminate the well, problems because there's a lot of waste out there, but it's a start and that's why I did it. And I found actually there's this whole community of people on Twitter that pe pick up litter and it's kind of cool like to interact with people in England and Europe and 
they're picking up litter and they're obviously much more advanced in terms of sustainability in Europe than they are in the U.S. So it's pretty neat. That is pretty cool. I've heard of something sort of similar. Um, have you heard of plogging? Plogging, no. So it's the same idea, except you pick up litter while you're jogging. And especially for like group runs, they'll kind of say like, hey, let's go to this park or whatever. And then as that whole group is running through, people are just picking up pieces of litter while they do it. And it helps with just as you go through, you're cleaning up the community very quickly, especially when you're working as a group. Jogging sounds so. like a lot of exercise, but yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But no, I love that idea you know, too. And 960 yeah. days, congratulations. That's awesome. I was going to say, 960 days, have you even thought for a moment how many pounds of, of garbage you've probably picked up? I think it's 920, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a lot. And like uh, for World, World Cleanup Day, I do at least an hour cleanup in the neighborhood where I go around with a big garbage bag and just pick up as much stuff as I can in an hour. And I, I live in a pretty clean community, but it's amazing how much litter is even in a clean community. It's just, You find so many interesting things. Well, so I was going to say, James, I, I want to go to break, but before we do, I, I'm actually really curious for the people listening. I, I feel like there's a lot of people, especially in the younger generation say I want to do I want to do something but they feel kind of helpless like they don't know really where to start they see the rising sea levels the warming of the of, of the earth and they're just like I don't know what to do I know you're not a sustainability expert but you're clearly doing something can you can you maybe give some ideas or thoughts that you're doing like what you just mentioned that if everyone does it like you said one percent it can have a big impact well, get a dog named Oreo. Get it. Put a leash on a, a, a harness. A harness. I prefer a harness. Walk around your area and look at where the trash is. And then once you start doing it, you start thinking to yourself, "This is gross. Why are we doing this to our own planet? We only have one planet. I mean, we're not moving to Mars." anytime soon and i don't even know if i would want to move to mars even if i could there's a beautiful earth here and like when i talked to robert ballard like the explorer i interviewed him on a podcast which is really cool and he basically said to me like he he's a explorer he found the titanic i mean the world is talking to us and telling us that it's not happy with us and you just have to open your eyes a little bit and see what you can do to make a change. And I don't have all the answers. I'm not a sustainability expert. But there are little things that everybody can do that can change the world. I know I was talking to you, Alex, and you mentioned like thinking about how much meat you eat in a week. I'm not telling you what to eat. That's not my gig. I'm not here to to preach to people. No, but uh, but I told you, I, you know, and I get inspired by people like you. Where I can say, you know, maybe I only have a beef one day a week. You know, I love beef, right? Like if I could, I'd eat beef every day. And quite frankly, I probably used to almost every day. But I realize how much worse beef is for society, the carbon emissions, even compared to chicken. And 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 so, like, I think there are a lot of people who go, oh, well, I'm, I know I can't give up all beef or, or sorry, I can't give up all meat. So I'm just not going to try. It's like, yeah, but the difference between eating beef four times a week 
in one time a week, you can still have it. You don't have to become a vegan, but just doing little things here and there. Yeah, I mean, you go to Starbucks and you get your coffee and you get the little plastic cup. I mean, the plastic isn't great, but go home, wash it out, and recycle it. Mm-hmm. Take Just take 30 seconds to wash it out and recycle it, and you're making a little difference. So I think we can all make a little difference. So quick question before we cut to break. When it comes to picking up litter, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like there was some degree of, don't touch that. You don't know where it's been. Do do you have to wear gloves, or is it just like there is a certain degree of, you know what, everything's pretty filthy. Just pick it up and, and wash your hands later when you get home. Like, what, what are your That's thoughts on that? That's a great question. Okay, so this is actually a, a pretty funny story. So I used to use my hands, and I'd find something, and I'd pick it up. And then one day, I was having a hard time finding a piece of litter for my litter challenge. It was cold out, and it was early on in covid so I found, I went to this field near my house and there was this piece of litter in the middle of it. So I went and I'm like, oh, finally I found, cause you know, if you start a challenge like this and there's days when you have a, you have like <laughs> a lot of snow or something and it's hard to find litter, your anxiety builds cause you don't want to lose your challenge. I mean, your streak. So I find Especially this. If you get that momentum. Yeah. So I find this box in the middle of the field. And the, again, this was early during COVID and uh, I pick it up, and I turn it around, and it's a nasal spray. And this was before vaccines. This is before we really knew how it was transmitted. And I'm like, what do I do? I've, I've touched something that's probably got COVID on it. So oh I'm holding this, this box kind of <laughs> like this away from me, scared to death of what's in my hand. But I'm like, I can't drop it. I got to at least throw it out. So there was a garbage that was maybe 150 yards or so away. So I'm walking like Frankenstein with this box in front of me. And I finally drop it in. And then I'm like, Oreo, we got to go home. We got to go home. So I don't think poor Oreo was able to do his business. I had to go home, wash my hands for three minutes and get it all off. And then after that, I realized doggy poop bags. Why not put Use my, put that on my hand to pick up the litter. So I'm always carrying a doggy poop bag with me to pick up litter. Everyone always carry doggy poop bags with you. You never know when you can pick up some litter. That's right. And with that, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk with James about his own experience with podcasting. And then we're going to get a sneak peek into some literature he's working on. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ron here. And Alex and I wanted to take a moment first to thank you for being a listener to our podcast. Secondly, I've got a challenge for you. This week, if you could, find somebody who maybe isn't familiar with the show and turn them on to it. We'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we are back with James Tarani. We're having a, a great time. We were talking about everything from Pink Floyd to picking up litter. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about now, James is we talked about it before we went to record. You said, oh, this is going to be interesting because I'm not used to being the guest on a podcast. I'm used to hosting. Um, I'm actually really curious, like you've done your fair share of podcasting. Be honest. What makes a good (laughs) podcast? What makes a bad? I think a good podcast is anything anybody would want to listen to. I mean, mean, just having fun and letting loose, letting your hair down a little. Um, I think 
podcasts go wrong when they're too scripted. And I've worked with somebody who really wanted to script everything out that he said. And that's okay. I understand it. I understand that you want to get everything right. And being right is important to me as an editor. But there's something about being able to just kind of go on tangents and just kind of explore things and see what's out there and kind of try new things. So I think that's where podcasts go right is when they're just kind of fun conversations where you're just having a conversation. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about X, Y, and Z. Let's talk about Pink Floyd and litter. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's ever been done before. I think we're breaking new ground here. Pink Floyd litter. I mean, come on. And one thing that's really kind of interesting too, I think with podcasting is that, it really does kind of give a voice to everyone, right? And that's maybe something that is really unique that I I like about the medium is that you could probably find something for anybody. And whether or not that's Pink Floyd and Litter uh, or whatever the combination may be, everyone's kind of got their own different vantage point and ideas about that, right? Um, but what are I guess one, one of the questions I would have for you is with your experience as well, um, what are some of the... Uh, maybe what are some of the most positive experiences or things that you've really seen from doing your own podcast that have really kind of crystallized or said, gave you that kind of aha moment? Well, I'll tell you this. I'm a very shy person Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot for me. I mean, like even when I'm trying to call someone, I, I really have to force myself to do it because I'm a really reserved shy person But what I realized with podcasting is I could be somebody who I might not be. I could be more outgoing. I can kind of joke around. I can be, uh, try and be like this witty host and take, uh, and, and make my guests feel more comfortable by just talking to them. I mean, one time I did this podcast, uh, actually it was, we called it a video, so when you say podcast, is it a video? If if it has video, is it a podcast? If it's just voice, I don't know. So let's let's say for argument's sake that since this had video and audio, it was still in the podcast genre. So uh, he was a big card player, poker and blackjack, and thing. He was like, I think he's a blackjack champion, if I'm remembering correctly. So during the podcast, I had hand a hand of cards and i shuffled them and we played blackjack as the podcast was going on so like i'd ask a question and then i'd say do you want to hit or do you want to stay and uh it all worked out in the end and he wound up busting me as the dealer because he's that good but (laughs) it's a way to kind of explore who you are in a way in that you might not be comfortable with outside of podcasting so it's it's an interesting medium and it's it's a way uh, i mean we were talking a little bit during the break you and ron you were talking about how it's kind of like this time capsule and when you said that i was thinking back i was like you know if i had my an opportunity to like sit down with my grandparents and just interview them for a podcast and just have that as like a memory like I was really close with my grandmother and she passed away six years ago 
and I I saved like this. Uh, she always used to do this. Um, whenever she left me a message, she'd always say, "Jane, when you get a chance, this is your grandmother. Call me back." And I still hear that voice in my head, but I wanted to save it. And then I switched phones, and I lost it. So I no longer have any oh. real record of her voice. So what you were saying really resonated with me because 50 years from now, if somebody stumbles upon this podcast on the interwebs or whatever people are listening to podcasts in 50 years, uh, technology is probably going to change, but it's a glimpse into what was. I mean, nobody knows what Abraham Lincoln's voice sounded like. I mean, there's writing about it. Like it was supposed to be a high kind of squeaky thing, but who knows what it really sounded like. Well, and it's funny. I had never thought about what we're, what you just mentioned and what Ron talked about during the break until we had a guest on last season, Adam Bernard, who has his own podcast. And his podcast is definitely a little bit more controversial than Ron and I's, right? He, he really wants to get into social issues and politics and religion. And that's great. And one of the things we asked him about, though, was, you know, talk to us about that. And I thought it was actually really interesting. One of the things he commented on is he says, I want my children, my children's children, if they want, they can listen back to their grandfather or their father someday and see where I stood on these issues. He, like, he wants them to know that he was progressive um, in his mind, right? Like his interpretation about like what was what was right. And I had never given that any thought. I don't think I'd ever given any thought to I don't have children, right? Of the of the three of us here, I'm the one who doesn't have any children. I never thought about the idea that a, a future Alex Stud Jr. and that would would even want to listen to me. And I I thought, wow, that that is true. How this this is unlike radio could live forever, right? Radio was a at least historically it was said one time, and yep. if you didn't listen to it, then it's gone. That's true. I think you said it very succinctly. I think um, it's a way of connecting, and I think that's what podcast you said. Where do people go right? It's making a connection with your audience. Who wants to? I mean, like nobody knows me probably who's going to be listening to this, unless my family happens to chime in. But they'll get to know me from this. <laughs> They'll be too Hi, poor. Like, family. No, I don't want to listen to dad again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a way to meet people in a new, refreshing way. And like I said, technology is going to change. And there's going to be something else in 10 years. And podcasting will, maybe it'll keep going on. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Well, one thing, and I'm not sure if Ron and I have actually said this on the air. We've said it to a lot of our guests before we start where we've talked about where Ron and I in some ways started this podcast just to connect his brothers, right? We're separated by a thousand miles and it was like, well, why don't we chat every week? And by the way, let's bring on a third party, someone we both, you know, someone that either I know or he knows or both of us knows and let's just have a conversation. And it's interesting too. this podcast, I think, not to be mushy, but I think my relationship with my brother has gotten a lot better. And so the motivation for why. Right. I mean, just going back to my situation with my brother 
I mean, we've always been close, but uh, we've never worked together before. So it's interesting to see that side of him because I've never seen it firsthand. And he's much more driven and determined than I've ever been. So it's it's really fun to kind of ride his coattails. Now, uh, I, I have to ask, you said he's your twin. Is is yes. he is he an identical twin? Like, is there is there someone who looks exactly like you walking the streets? <laughs> we're fraternal, but we do look a lot alike. Especially when we were younger, we looked more alike than we do now. Um, like, I'd say until we were maybe freshman year, eighth grade and freshman year, we really could pe- get away with kind of mixing and matching if we wanted to. Uh, we still confused a lot of people, but uh, I think if you saw us now you'd be able to tell us apart. Although, one story, one story real quick. When I got married, some people didn't know I had a twin brother. Uh, so so he wound up getting a lot of congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and he That's was awesome. like, it's not me. But one more story, when I was in college, I just thought of this when I was saying that story. Um, he came to my fraternity house i went to the university of missouri he went to colorado state so he came up for one of our big parties and uh, a friend of mine saw him walking around and he's like oh hey james and uh uh, my brother kept walking because he wasn't james and uh then the guy got really mad and then came up to him and said what the hell's wrong with you james how are you why are you ignoring me (laughs) and he had to spend like 20 minutes convincing him that he wasn't james (laughs) wow well so does your brother does he does he live in the chicagoland area i guess my question is am i gonna be walking down the streets in the loop someday and and no he he doesn't live in chicago anymore he's out west in seattle Got it. Okay, that gives me peace of mind. I don't want to accidentally, <laughs> I don't want to accidentally embarrass problem. myself and be like that same guy. Yeah. So, listen, uh, we we do want to switch topics a little bit. We were talking about the medium known as podcasts. I want to talk about another yep. medium known as books. Maybe you've maybe we've all read a book once in our life, right? Books, literature. I understand you're actually in the process of writing. Can you talk about that? Ooh, I don't know what I can say about this. I've been <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, I've been working on a book for a little over two years now. I have advice to anybody who wants to write a book. Do not start with a complicated biography because <laughs> it, will go, it will drive you crazy. Start with a children's book where you can write maybe six or seven paragraphs Get some fancy illustrator to make some fun pictures of hippos dancing or whatever, and then be done with it. Do not start with a complicated biography. That's what you did. That's what I did. So I'm currently working on a book. So there was a show, uh, well, it was actually short films, uh, called The Little Rascals, or Our Gang, which was what it was really called back in the day. And uh, there was one of the kids, his name... Oh, wait, I got a, got him here. There we go. There we go. Is it, so is that a, is that a bobblehead? It is. Oh, I love it. So, Phil, for everyone, everyone here, or everyone who's not watching the video, it's a bobblehead. I don't want to spoil it, but it's alfalfa. Yes, yeah, so I'm doing a book a biography of carl alfalfa 
or Alfie Schweitzer. Like that, I I remember you told me this when you were like walking out the door practically at Sphere when we were coworkers, and my immediate thought was, of everyone in Why? of everyone <laughs> in the world that you chose to do a biography on, why Alfalfa? So I get into this in the uh, prologue of the book. So I remember being a kid in my grandparents' living room, or den, I should say, and my brother and I would watch um, Channel 32, which was WFLD, now it's a Fox station, and in the afternoons they would show the Little Rascals and the Three Stooges, and uh, I think the Monkees were in there too. All these kind of old shows, even for uh, when I was a kid, they were old. And I loved the Little Rascals. I thought they were great. And uh, when I was working at a publication called Electronic Media, this was in the late 90s, I got a press release about an e-television network uh uh, show that they were talking about alfalfa and i was reading the press release and it talked about like his untimely death and things like that and they had some choice words about him as well and so i called the pr person i said can you send me a copy of this so i can see it and she sent me a vhs tape and wow. uh, i still have it somewhere for, for the I young, for the young I, people listening, VHS tapes, it, it, it's it's like what before DVDs were. Uh, and for those who don't know what a DVD is, it'll it, it's like what Netflix used to be. Uh, so, so some kind of streaming video? Exactly. Yeah, like something that. like that. <laughs> something okay. like that. I w- watched the special and they made him out to be this pretty much terrible person. And I was like shocked. How could this sweet little innocent kid be like this bully i mean he was it's kind of interesting like the bully on the in the r gang or the most famous bully is butch but he was supposed to be the nicest person uh, off camera on the other hand alfalfa was supposed to be one of the heroes and he was he could do some things that were not so nice off camera uh but i don't i don't look at him as a bad guy at by any means um so anyways, at that time, I started doing more research because I was curious. And I was like, well, let me start out and let me go get a book on him. And I couldn't find one. I'm like, how could there not be a book about this? This is an interesting uh, life. And I was like, you know, I should do a book on that. And then after that, shortly after, I put it off, had kids, and didn't think about it until a a couple of years ago, and I decided to sit down during COVID, or, or actually, it was a little before COVID, now that I'm thinking about it, and I said, you know what, it's time to write a book. Let's see what I can find out about Carl Schweitzer, and it's turned into this crazy adventure, and I'm not done yet, still working on it. I'm still finding, like, crazy stuff. Like, I found this video the other day of him talking to Mussolini's son. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hal Roach, uh, who was the uh, head of um, the studio, the Hal Roach Studios, he wanted to start a studio with uh, Mussolini 
and uh, his son. So he flew Mussolini's son to uh, Hollywood, and they had a big party for him. And then why not meet the Argan kids? So there's this little video of, uh, I guess Alfie must have been about 10 at the time, 9 or 10, uh, talking to Mussolini's son and saying, you could tell like somebody was trying to feed him lines and he was like smiling. He's like, would you, if I go to your country, can I make movies with you? And then Spanky comes in. Spanky was another kid in the gang. And he's like, if Alpha Alpha goes to your country, can I make movies with you too? And it's the cutest little thing. It's like, that's the beauty of the R gang little rascal series is it was kids being kids during the Great Depression. I mean, yes, it started before the Great Depression, but most people don't know the uh, silent versions. But the cast that most people know, like with uh, Alfie and Spanky and Buckwheat and Darla, um, they were in the 30s, and times were tough, and these were real kids. These weren't, like, stage kids who were trained. That's the beauty of the series, and that's why they're are so endearing and why people still uh, watch their movies all these years later. There's a lot to unpack. That's going to be an awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's the tip of the iceberg. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I feel like I've heard this rumor that a lot of the cast were like owned by the studio. Like they were just mass adopted so that they could get around some child labor laws. Is there any validity to that? Or is that completely just, pure bs that somehow has made its way to the uh internet. that would be pure bs that's made its way to the internet I, that that sounds that <laughs> sounds like that. something that would happen in early hollywood though like they're all like indentured servants <laughs> right like oh they're they're my kids they're part of this you know don't worry you know one oh, thing that people don't realize is that well he's famous for the little rascals he was in at least one or two films every year from the time he was uh, in our gang, 1935, till his death. Um, it, his last film came out in 58, and he died in January of 59. So he was in lots of movies. Wow. Um, he was in A Wonderful Life. And that blew my mind. Really? When I, I, when I was hearing this, right, when James told me he was leaving and he told me about this book, I immediately went on Wikipedia. And look this guy up. And he had a small role in It's a Wonderful Life. And if I remember correctly, wasn't he the guy that pulled the lever that separated the pool during that dance scene early in the movie? Yeah, there's this creepy kid that like comes up to Alfie because he's, he's upset because he went on a date with Donna Reed. And right. obviously he didn't wind up key. with Donna Reed. <laughs> and then there's this like kid who's like almost like a devil. This key will open the pool. And then he's like, I'll do it. And then he turns the thing and the whole pool opens. But lo and behold, everybody loves being in the pool. Who knew? And it's it's crazy to think that I mean that I see that movie every 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 winter, every Christmas. Uh, so I watch Elfie every year. I had no idea he was in that movie. Most people don't. I mean he's in there for maybe I don't even know if it's five minutes. And he doesn't really look like Alfie. I mean, he does to me now because I've seen so many of his movies past our gang. But like when I was when I first saw the movie, I had no clue. He he did a couple movies like with John Wayne. He was in the Defiant Ones, which is an amazing movie. Um, That was uh, his last film. 
Well, you'd, you'd mentioned that he died in 59. I think it's safe to say he had a pretty premature death. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Yes, he died at the age of 31 um, from a gunshot wound. Oh. And, you know, uh, for those who, who have never heard this story, and I only know very briefly based on a quick Wikipedia search, because there's no book about this, a.k.a. I'm waiting for your book to come out, James. Um, there was a there was a fight about money or something, right? There was a conflict. Something happened. Well, there's a story that's been around forever. Whether or not it's true, I'm not 100% sure. I've heard other things that I, I can't. I, I can't corroborate because I don't have a second source on it, but what I heard is probably more realistic than what what everybody says happened. Um, but the, the basic story is, so he was a hunter. He was a bear hunter. And he also was a, uh, he also trained dogs to make a living because he wasn't getting those juicy rolls. So and he, he sold a he, dog to Jimmy Stewart. Really? I didn't know that. I saw that on Wikipedia. That might have been made up. It was on Wikipedia, but I saw it. That's possible. I, I wasn't aware of that one. Anyway. Um, see, you taught me something here. <laughs> I just read the Wikipedia page, but keep going. I'm sorry. So he had a partner, a guy he knew, and uh, he he this, this is how the story goes, that he borrowed the guy's dog um, for a hunting trip, and then the dog runs away guy gets really mad um his name was moses bud stilts and he uh tells alfie you better find my dog so alfie puts an ad in the newspaper apparently i've looked for this ad i have not been able to find it but this is the story that's been told since 1959 and uh says looking for this lost hunting dog blah 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 lo and behold shortly after the guy guy turns up with the dog, and and Alfie pays him a thirty five dollar reward. So he he pays him the thirty five dollar reward, buys him fifteen dollars worth of drinks, and and just think about that for a moment. Fifteen dollars worth of drinks in nineteen fifty nine. It's a lot of booze. The average drink was probably seventy five cents to a dollar. So he supposedly bought this guy 15 drinks. That's a lot of drinks. Anyways, so he gets he gets the dog back, and then he he buys this guy drinks. And then a couple weeks later, he's out with this guy, and they're drinking, and they're having a good time. The same guy or healthy. someone else? No, this is a different guy. Uh, decides, I want to go back to this other guy's house bud stilts because he should pay me the fifty dollars and then from there he goes um gets in the house uh and there's a big fight and bud stilts shoots him in the stomach and he dies about a half hour later over 50 bucks which to be fair that's like what a grand today 500 bucks i don't know i don't know yeah it's something like it's, i mean it's but, it's but not i mean that's a pretty, that's a pretty sad way to go. It is, and uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of things that don't make sense about that story, and I, I I'm not going to be able to solve this mystery because there's a lot of 
firsthand information that just isn't available anymore. But there are some clues on what might have happened um, that I get into in the book. And uh, I think it's a really interesting tale. Now, James, do, am I right in saying this? You were able to speak with some people who either knew him directly or indirectly, correct? Yeah, so I've talked to some really cool sources. Like, uh, I found this one guy in Ohio who, when I talked to him, he was 95. So this was about two years ago. Uh, he, His dad, or his, uh, sorry, his mom had taken him to the R-Gang uh, studios, or the Hellroach studios, um, in the mid thirties and I found an article about it. So I looked him up and I found the guy <laughs> and I called him up and, uh, his memory of the events weren't great, but he, he just had this warm personality and it was the first interview I've ever done where I heard like this voice in the background and I was like, is that your wife? And he's like, yeah, that's my wife. And so I interviewed both of them, which was kind of cool. And, uh, so I talked to him, and I talked to uh, there's a there's a few people who are still alive who were actually in the series. So I've talked to some of them, which was like uh, the Woim, who was one of the uh, main bad guys in the series. Um, I got to talk to him when I was in California a couple of years ago. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I had a really bad case of the flu, and I wonder now if it was COVID, <laughs> but. Uh, so this was January of 2020 when I talked to him. Wow. But it was over the phone, so he was never in danger. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've talked to a bunch of the children. Like, I've, uh, I've become friendly with Darla's daughter. Um, I talked to her. I've talked to Spanky's daughter. That's so um, I've cool. I've talked to Wal Waldo's son. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I have not been able to track down... Alfalfa's one child. Um, he's very hard to find. He's kind of off the radar. And he was just a few years old when his father died. So I, it would, I don't know how much memories he would really have. So I, I have two questions. One, I know you... Just two? Just two. <laughs> just two. Uh, until I read the book, which that's my first question. I, I, I know, listen, you are a writer... And if I know anything about George R.R. R. Martin when it comes to setting a date, things can get delayed. Uh, Game of Thrones writer, for, for those listening. When do you anticipate this book being published or being available for consumption? <laughs> That's the, the big question. I really thought I'd be done with my research by now, but I'm not. My goal is to have a draft done by the end of the year. And then if there's any agents out there who are interested in this kind of thing, hook, hit, hit me up, as the kids say. I mean, I'd love for this to come out next year. So that, that's my goal. Wow. Well, we will definitely keep the audience aware of, as, as this gets released and the timing of it all, we would love to have you back on uh, when the time does come. Because... I think this is intriguing, and I don't know anything about this guy other than a Wikipedia search and what you've told me. Um, and I'm I'm hooked, and I I don't think I'm the only one. So it's crazy how many fans he still has. Because so, like somebody did a video about his life a, a year or so ago, and it it got like four million 
views on YouTube. Wow. So you think like this is a kid who lived till 19 well he wasn't a kid when he died but he lived till 1959 his years of being a star were basically 1935 to 1940 that's five years but he's still making an impact mm-hmm. all these years later like people still watch the shows uh the episodes uh, they still laugh at these kids it's crazy how many people are really interested in that and uh, some people will be like, well, who would be interested? There's lots of people who are interested. Count me as one of them now. Uh, and then my final question is, uh, you're going to hate me, James. I don't think I've ever actually seen a single episode of the original Little Rascals. My experience, I, I grew up, I was born in 91. Hope I don't make either one of you feel old, but I was born in 1991. And I remember watching many times the movie that was made in the early nineties where, you know, they did the remake Donald Trump. I, re- I remember has a cameo in it. I think Whoopi Goldberg does too. Is that, Mel Brooks, yeah. is that movie? Like, can you watch that movie? Is that like, is that just like, this is trash or does it actually pay homage? <laughs> and it's, it, it's actually legitimate uh, in terms of, it's you know, I think people, my age have different views on that movie than people your age because I, I know younger people love it. Uh, I mean, there's some things in it that are okay, and I haven't watched it recently. It's been years since I saw it, but uh, it didn't uh, connect with me the way the old our gang shows did. But there's nothing wrong with it. It just it, because because if it wasn't for that movie, and again, I, I don't mean to sound young but if i didn't know that movie i don't think i would really know the little rascals like that's that's my connection to the little rascals like ron well when i was growing up there was maybe like four or five channels <laughs> you didn't have <laughs> many choices and if there was something on that was funny you, you you gravitated toward that and that was one of the things after school that was on every day ron what about you so yeah admittedly i think my daughter actually watched that movie the other day the early '90s one, um, like I want to say, maybe one or two weeks ago. Yeah, and um, yeah, I did point out the Donald Trump. I was like, oh, "There's, there's Trump out there." <laughs> um, but she seemed to like it. But I, I, I don't think. Um, I think she's seen it probably once or twice now. But I don't think it's like really high on her like rotation list of of movies. But um, I think there is just something that's sort of timeless about kids getting together and. Uh, doing their antics and that's always fun and i don't think you really see that so much in a lot of tv shows now especially when you've got a huge ensemble cast like like they had right that's it there's just i think in the the logistics side of that is it's very difficult especially when you're working with child actors um to really kind of rein all that in because it can turn very chaotic i'm sure very quickly as I'm sure in your research, you probably heard some probably interesting stories about what it was like uh, for the cast. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's it's actually really interesting. Um, this might be sound a little bit morbid, and I apologize for that. But when all this was going down on his final day, it was in the evening in January of 1959. And at that time, the Little Rascals were the one of the biggest things on television because most of the shorts were made in the thirties, but they were re-released on television in the mid fifties. And actually they were on primetime at that time. So wow. as all this was going on, 
they were showing little rascals on TV and people were watching mm. while all this craziness was going on at uh, the Stilts residence. So he, is it fair to say he sort of had a, res- uh, a renaissance in terms of his career because all of a sudden his work from 15 years previously or 20 years earlier was getting primetime television? Unfortunately, all of these kids signed contracts in the 30s um, that did not grant them residuals. So nobody knew about television. Well, they knew about television, but nobody knew that television was going to be a thing. So they got nothing from all of the all of uh, the time that they were on television in the 50s and to today. I mean, they don't make nobody made any money off of it except for the studios. Wow. Well, that kind of ties into what you were talking about, Ron. I mean, you weren't quite accurate, but there's still some screwing over these kids. <laughs> yeah, the studio did own them in that way. but. Uh. Well, honestly, this has been a really interesting conversation, James. It's been a real delight having you on. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, um, when we when we publish this, for anyone listening, we're going to link to your brother's company, and we're going to keep the listeners up to date on uh, updates about your book. And as James had mentioned, if there's anyone listening who uh, knows someone who's a, a publisher, uh, get in touch with the Between Two Studs. We'll get you in touch with James. All right. Well, th- this was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. No, thank you so much. We'll, uh, we look forward to having you back on when, when the book's released. Sounds great.